Hello Tabletop Wargamers, and welcome to Tried and True, a podcast hosted by the Delaware War Machine community. Join us as we dive deep into topics around our favorite games, exploring methods and techniques proven to enhance anyone's gaming experience. Hello, my name is Erica, and welcome to this week's Battle Report on Tried and True. Uh, just kidding, this one's a podcast. The guys are currently busy prepping for a big AU steamroller tomorrow at our brand new store location, so I will be your host for this episode. Big thank you to all of our uh, viewers and listeners. You guys smashed our 500 subs goal. The second round of winners was just announced, so please make sure your emails are available on YouTube. Uh, we're giving our second rounders an additional week, which ends on August 26, to update those email addresses. If you like what you're listening to and enjoy the War Machine deep dives and battle reports, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, as a new person entering the content creation scene on YouTube, I absolutely get why people ask you to subscribe, like, and comment. It helps tremendously and makes it easier for other people to find our content. Some other quick updates. Tried and True will be throwing down at the Fields of Battle at Nova, the Broker Brawl, and Warfare Weekend. Speaking of the Broker Brawl, Seth, Art, and Steve all started a new podcast, The Broker Broadcast. Highly recommend if you're looking for an additional podcast to add to your War Machine listening library. Those guys are a lot of fun, and they run an incredible team tournament. Go to the Broker Brawl. It's a great time. We'll add their info along with a few other friends of the channel in the show notes below. Now, with all the excitement of Mark IV and several people returning to the game, we thought it might be fun to host a special ladies interview with a very special guest. So without further ado, it is with great pleasure on behalf of Tried and True, along with Delaware War Machine, to invite the one and only Miranda, aka Wargamer Girl. Uh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for sharing your time with us tonight. Well, I am definitely looking forward to some happy Mark IV chat. Yes. So for those that might not be familiar with Miranda or the Wargamer Girl channel, do you mind just you know, giving us a quick spiel? Yeah, so I started my channel back in 2012 doing War Machine Mark II battle reports, kind of the early part of Mark II at the time anyway, and have just been doing a lot of battle reports for War Machine and hordes. And then I've broke on to other games. I have some Space Hulk on there. I'm working on 40k stuff because, you know, you got to cover everything. There's even some Malifaux games up on there if you ever check it out. But yeah, I run the channel Wargamer Girl. And I'm mostly a War Machine player. It was my first love. And so I'm excited to hopefully be able to come back to it. That's awesome. So for this, uh, this special interview, we're, uh, we're kind of going to break this into three parts. So the first is want to get to know our guests a lot better. So I'm super curious. I love, you know, meeting with other folks in the community and, you know, getting their take on everything that's going on. The Mark IV hype can't not talk about Mark IV right now. And then our deep dive discussion is women in wargaming. How can we spread the love of War Machine and other tabletop games to our community? Hmm. Okay, so you're saying that so your first tabletop game was War Machine? Uh, well, no, technically, actually, my first game was a game of 40k. I played uh, some Sisters of Battle in um, fifth edition, actually. And I was up against some Space Marines or whatever. And so, you know, you're just learning the rules on a little tabletop and whatever. And I, I just really remember walking away saying, my God, I hate sweeping advance. What, is, what stupid ass rule is this where you have to... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what the rating is for your, your podcast. But... Um, I, I hated it. I just didn't like the experience very much with, with how weird the rules were at the time. Like mm -hmm. things 
were so final really fast. I'm trying to think. So fifth edition about like what was that mid 2000s? Uh, it would I'm be yeah, like mid mid 2000s. Yeah. Okay. And then so you know I just didn't end up getting back around to it. And then War Machine came out. I was living in Oklahoma at the time and. We were just at the game store, I'm trying to remember, and I, I saw the War Machine stuff on the shelf, and I was like, these models look awesome. Like, look at these really cool things. And so as a kid, like, I always wanted the biggest, toughest, brawliest, biggest things. Like, I would drive a monster truck if I could somehow afford the gas for one. <laughs> so, of course, Kator, I'm like, yes, Kator, the big robots, the biggest, the most stompy, give me. And, you know, that really, but it was actually Mark I at the time. And so I didn't really know anybody to play with. And so I sort of had some minis that I put together for a little while, but didn't get back around to it till like 2010, 11. And that was basically when Mark II had come out already and then really picked it up from there. And that's when I really learned about more of like this whole wargaming community and all the different skirmish games that were coming out uh, that, you know, you had Malifaux and Infinity was coming out and a myriad of other skirmish games have come out even since then. And so I kind of feel like I got in right before wargaming as a slightly more mainstream hobby really came to the fore. Sure. Cool. And then what's your all-time favorite wargame? I mean, I do love me some War Machine. Again, it was it was my first love. I felt like the rules were so clean and well-written. I mean, the Mark II rulebook is really a testament to real, to honestly really amazing rule wording. They give you cards. Here's the ability. Oh, by the way, here's the, you know, brief of what that ability is on the card. There's so much easy to reference stuff. Whereas you don't have to, you know, look at the data slate on one model and reference another book to see what this ability might be. It, it was just well combined. Now, you know, you could say what you want about special rules and where that went, but the core rules of War Machine Mark II were so perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah, I feel I feel bad that that was the edition that I missed out on. Yeah, because um, I hear so I I hear it praised that it was a really it was a really good time to play. But I mean, it was also obviously a hard game. Like War Machine had this reputation for being a particularly difficult game to wrap your head around, and. I think I also kind of like that because like, ooh, challenge, I'll do it. Because there's, I mean, you know, war gaming can sound like intimidating until you actually like get into it. And then you're like, eh, this is, this isn't that hard. I mean, it's fine. Like, but with War Machine, there's so much memorization involved. And that would always be where my challenge was because, or my challenge would be because I'll play Kador and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what Vlad does. I know what Sorcia does. I know how these rules interact. I know how I can, you know, wombo combo my stuff. But I don't necessarily know all the rules to Legion or all the rules to Circle, and now, you know. Yeah, War Machine was always kind of like the shadow run of war games for me <laughs> uh, when it comes to, like, tabletop stuff. It can be super brutal, but I don't know. It, it was just a different... Um, once you felt like you were any good at that, you just felt like you could take on learn any game easily. Uh, I will make the exception caveat. I still don't understand Infinity. Like, I love that company. The models are really cool. Amazing community. I don't think I'll ever be able to play that game. <laughs> yeah, I actually I haven't had a, a chance to try that one yet. I have a couple of friends that play it. I've seen the tables. The tables are very uh, elaborate. Well, here in New Mexico, we had Rumble on Route 66, which ended up being at one point the largest Infinity tournament in the world. And um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was downtown at this uh, – sort of downtown. It was at this local hotel that they would host. And yeah – 
the uh, Guillermo was the effective press ganger for that down here, and he got so many people into Infinity. He, you know, really went above and beyond making a bunch of tables. A bunch of the community made all these gorgeous tables that you would just feel like you walked out of. I don't know, Blade Runner into or something. It was just oh, that's really absolutely cool. fantastic. Like, they did a stunning job. It really is a super awesome community. That's awesome. Yeah, that's um, so we've had a couple of terrain making nights at our store too. That's another great way if you're trying to get your local groups together and to kind of integrate different gamer groups. So for us, we advertised our table terrain making night. We opened it up to everybody. We opened up to the D&D folks, the Warhammer guys, and it was a it was really fun just to get everybody around the table and we love showing off these tables on our battle reports and during our steamrollers. So yeah, if you're looking for like some good community engagement, that's not necessarily, you know, rolling dice and, and smacking down terrain and table making nights are fabulous. That's a good point. Yeah, I can see a lot of people being a little more willing to come and try that first just to say, like, who, see who they're going to be interacting with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you get to share different game systems and stuff. It's it's nice. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's it's why you want a friendly local game store. Yeah. So speaking of local game stores, what's the local gaming scene like where you live? We've got we've got a long history of different different war gaming stores around here. Um, I suppose the big one for my part of town that I'm in is Etten Games. There's another one in Texas, but this one is in Albuquerque, and they just recently moved locations. And they really lean a lot into you know creating this very welcoming environment. They've got tables out so people can play their you know 40k nights or whatever game nights. Tons of RPGs, and it's like just one of those really nice, clean stores. They did a really good job. Before that, we had Active Imagination that was actually around for like. I don't know, 30 years or something. And they actually closed this year, which was kind of a weird end of an era. Um, yeah. Fem- female run store, by the way. Um, oh, awesome. But she was like, I'm done. I'm like, okay, we love you, Mandy. Thank you for everything. And um, yeah, shout out to Mandy. Yes. <laughs> and then on the west side, because Albuquerque, we've got a river that runs right through the middle. And so even though it's all Albuquerque, we kind of have two halves of the city that people mostly stay in. And so the other side of town, we've got Twin Sons and they do, they have a lot of magic and then they also do wargaming and stuff. It's just so far away. I don't usually end up getting to that one. And then sure. we also technically have a Warhammer store, but that's kind of in the opposite corner of town from me. So I really never get there. They've got like strict rules too. It's like you have to play GW games. Oh, you have there. to play there. Like you can't even. It has to be the newest edition. Yeah, you can't even like mention other games <laughs> in that store. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on all that. But yeah, so as far as the gaming scene, I, I haven't seen too much of War Machine lately. Like Mark III kind of was a, a getting off point for a lot of people. But, you know, 40K has always been a healthy community. Albuquerque loves Infinity. As I mentioned, we've got a really strong Infinity meta here. And Albuquerque, for whatever reason, has always loved, and to this day still loves, Battletech, which I swear we'll try oh, one wow. of these days. Hardcore Oh, Battletech. wow. Gosh. Yeah, I haven't... Oh, gosh, I haven't heard of that game in, like, many moons. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been around in so long, and it's, it's one yeah. of those games that's kind of an interesting example, right? Because... You can look at it and say, well, you know, if you run a game company, you need to be changing editions every so often, putting out models all the time. And Battletech's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. So with um, all these different, you know, war games, games that you play, what is your favorite to create content for on your channel? Uh, I mean, okay, I guess my favorite kind of have been my Space Hulk battle reports just because we are able to lean into them being a lot more cinematic, just 
you know, the, mm-hmm. the layout of the space hook board. We took uh, Sharpies and blacked out all the edges of the little game pieces. And then we have them set on velvet. So it creates this real darkness of space. And like, we went crazy just making this board game look as cinematic as we could. And every time I edit those, I'm just like, man, this is so pretty. I just love it. Because <laughs> I mean, some of those models, man, like the details come out and they're just, mm, they're so good. And then, you know, you have the environment there and that makes it really even better. And then, you know, the gameplay is is what it is, and it's a board game at the end of the day, and, I don't know, sixes and ones is kind of how uh, Space Hulk rolls. And so the content comes together fairly quick. I also love doing War Machine Battle Reports. I've done so many War Machine Battle Reports, like checking dice rolls and double-checking rolls, but those would always be kind of challenging because the game would go on long enough, because anytime you record a game, as I'm sure you might be aware by now, uh, it's going to take, like, three or four times longer than a normal game would take. And so... You might come across the battle later while you're editing and be like, ah, man, I messed up that rule. Yeah, that was actually one of the things I really liked when we did our 50-point beta Mark IV bat rep. I was like, oh, wow, we're done in like a third of the time. Wow. (laughs) Well, with with Mark IV, 50 points is fewer models again. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, even just like with the uh, with the unit movement and everything, it just uh, the time that I guess did take the longest is we had to go, you know, and like reread, you know, some of the rules, especially when it came to moving and charging and all that stuff. That was probably the the slowest part about when we were filming ours. But I mean, it flowed pretty well. I think each player only exhausted like 30 minutes of their clock, if that. Oh, okay. By the time we got to the end of the game. Do you expect that um, the tournament scene is going to see shorter death clocks for it? I don't know if those rules are out. I'm not sure. So there's still, I guess, discussion on what is the next, like like what's going to be the community standard format is personally, I think it's going to be 100 points, maybe not immediately, because I think with Mark four, it's it's going to take about two years for this thing to come online. Okay. So in the meantime, I wouldn't think it would be, you know, that super uncommon to see 50 point or 75 steamrollers or tournaments for the first year or two mark four is out yeah my bets are on a, on, on 100 points in terms of the death clock changing i don't know because advanced maneuvers actually they just had a really cool podcast interview with uh, mcwaters and he was saying if you take out rec options and warcaster points even at 75 point games in mark three you're still playing with over 100 points worth of models. So like you're between 100 and maybe 130 points if, you know, you're not counting the the Warcaster right. battle points and all that stuff. So maybe at like 100 point cutoff, maybe 45 minutes would be enough time huh. or 60. I'm not sure. I mean, back in Mark II and I think three as well, if you went over, if you hit 100 points, you could technically take a second Warcaster. I wonder if they're keeping any of that. Oh, God, that would be insane yeah. with the rocks. <laughs> that would be kind of bananas. I don't know. I think I, I agree with you. I think staying smaller point scale, at least for the interim, would be wise, especially if you're trying to grow the audience again. Yeah. And, and for us with our store and our, our community, we're going to pull them to see like, OK, what do our players want? Are they looking for this unlimited format? Are they looking for a prime? Are they looking for 50 points? Are they looking? I think you just have to like read your audience and kind of reach out and see what your community wants to do. It's a new time for all of us. That's one of the things that I'm most excited for from Mark 4 is it's a soft reset for everybody across the board, regardless of your experience or player skill. Mm-hmm. And we basically get to start over without jumping on a brand new IP. 
So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> um, so how do you feel about where the lore has gone? Do you, do you follow much of the lore on that? I am not like a consistent lore person, okay, uh, but I know like with the jump, I think it's what, 15 years five. between? Or five or six it's years, five. yeah, because it's a 20 okay. or 618 and it was 612 before, so 618 now. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for for the jump. When when they first premiered, like, the Storm Legion and the Orgoth, like, earlier this year, I had a couple reservations. I was like, oh, these guys look real, like, they look more sci-fi warcastery to me and not so much, you know, steampunk fantasy. Yeah. Uh, at the time. But, I mean, it, it's grown on me. I'm actually running a uh, Shadow of the Seeker campaign right now at, at my store. We just did our first session last week. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm... I'm learning the lore now. <laughs> oh, the lore um, and those but no, I'm I'm excited for like the the, the tech jumps and 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 everything. I like, I'll be honest, I fell off the wagon hard with the Infernal drop. I actually quit the game for a year when it was like Archon Machine and Riot Quest models. I was like, ew, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> I'm out. I, I feel um, so I, yeah. So I'm really glad that that craziness got you know addressed. <laughs> <laughs> did they did they mention with that list of stuff that's still going to be usable like if infernals was in there because i'd be happy if they weren't i'm not sure oh what do you mean for the for when mark they 4? mentioned the um mm-hmm, like which stuff in mark 4 you're going to be able to still bring oh i'm not sure i know infernal like the limited factions they said are going to be prime factions oh, uh, yeah, they had infernals. a list that came out yeah, yeah infernals so infernals which Grimkin made the yeah, cut. Yeah, I'm yes. so glad Grimkin making the cut was important. Infernals were, I just hated, I hated them in the lore and I hate them on the table, but whatever. I've actually never played them. So for the month of October on our channel, we're doing like spooky battle reports for October. So I'm going to get my Grimkin on the channel. And then Mike, who played uh, Mercs on our third episode, he has a whole Infernals army. So Ooh. my very first experience, my first play experience ever into Infernals will be on this battle report. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. I don't know what they do. Just kill them dead <laughs> as fast as you can. The longer they last, the worse it is. Check. I see. <laughs> That's all I can give you. Just hurry. Hurry, hurry. So I guess this is a good, since we're talking about Mark IV, a good segue into Mark IV. So with this new edition, do you think, you know, Wargamer Girl, you're you're going to be working on any battle reports I mean, for War Machine? To be fair, I was I was going to anyway, even with like, even if there was nothing that ever happened with Mark III changing over, like I actually was gearing back up to be like, okay, no, we're, I was, I was teaching my friends, I was you know, involuntarily, you know, drafting them into my, my fold of War Machine play and teaching them how to play the game. Cause I'm like, no, I really want to get back and do some battle reports and we just need to build this community. Or I just kind of need to build up a community again. And so that was already happening when Mark Ford dropped literally like in the middle of all that. And so I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. well, okay guys, back to the trading table. Me too. <laughs> so, but it's kind of cool because like you mentioned, it sort of levels the playing field. Everyone can kind of come at it from where they were and being able to bring in legacy armies in addition to the new stuff, I think will be something people want to see. I'm probably going to stick with 50 point battle reports, at least for the interim, because editing really large battles is, is, is frustrating, let's say. Um, so so yeah, there will definitely be that. I'm really hoping I can get my hands on the full Winter Core 50-point army because I am desperate to play them. <laughs> I just want to. Yeah, same. Like, same though. Yeah. <laughs> 
so speaking of you know these new models so on your channel you were put you're doing like a um what was it like one of those live youtube yeah like i'm the old so i don't know like what <laughs> the terminology is for it but yeah like you were putting the models together what was that like being able to you know get your hands on these new 3d printed models yeah so i did an unboxing on the channel and and it was a live unboxing because they had sent it to me i received it that morning and i'm like okay well well i think it was that morning but yeah i i didn't open anything. I was like, I'll just open it on the live stream. Let's just see. Okay, these are 3D printed models. There was concerns and I don't, like, I've dealt with 3D printing a fair bit. Like, I've got friends with resin printers. We do FDM stuff here. Like, I'm familiar enough with, like, 3D models that I'm not particularly worried about it. But at the same time, like, it's it's not an illegitimate concern of people. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just do an unboxing. Let's look at them. And so, yeah, I did. Um, I opened up all the models on the three of them on the channel. I, I looked at uh, all of the individual pieces. And, like, there were a couple little print lines here and there, which I don't even think will show up after being primed, but I haven't gotten that far yet. So really, it was just demonstrating that. And I think it got a lot of people excited and kind of alleviated some concerns because... I think one of the things that had happened before was like beta models or untested models that were still really early had gone out to some people, maybe playtesters or something. And images of that had shown up online and people were like, what is this? This doesn't look great. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like whenever you see an image, you're like, mm, when is that from? Like, So <laughs> this was just my attempt. Like, I don't know that they sent me like a particularly good one. Kind of doubt it. I think they just sent me like a normal one, right? And overall like the quality's there i think they'll look really good on the tabletop and there are some cool things you can do with 3d prints like have models that you don't have to worry about undercuts like you do with an injection molding machine or with or the frustration and slowness of dealing with um like resins if you've ever poured resins which is another special thing that i've experienced yeah i felt like an idiot when i was putting together my resin like armored core like my tanker models i didn't like I thought some of the pieces that were on it were part of the model. <laughs> so oh, they I were primed and painted. Pieces. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's just a spike, I guess. I don't. <laughs> I mean, whatever. But, it happens. If you make it look right, mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. After the live stream, though, I finally got in and uh, magnetized all of them, which was an interesting process. And I'm very proud of myself because I didn't confuse any of the magnets. And so everything just <laughs> snaps on really nicely and connects really nicely. It took a little while. It's probably couple hours if you want to be like really diligent and glue it all together right so that's all cool now they just need to get primed and painted but the the interchangeability seems like it's pretty cool the locking system the actual arms and head have sort of these flanges on the pieces so that when you socket it into the body it doesn't wiggle around like you might see on a normal magnet on a smooth surface where it can just move and you know, sometimes get a little floppy on you that locks it in so they actually can still kind of keep a cool pose now, one thing I did notice that I'm like, oh, come on, guys, is <laughs> there's so much overhang on the base still. <laughs> like, really, guys? Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, like, the I think it's the dire wolf. It has this turned carapace, right? So it's, it's it, like as if it's running. And so its body mm. is turned one way and its hips are the opposite way. And so when you put the weapons on, they're just so far away from its body. And it, I mean, it's the design of the model way overhangs the base and I'm like I do wish that the bases got bigger for for this new edition not not the 80 mil they're doing for just the, for Orgoth or special new models but like if they just across the board increase the base size for the Warjacks I think that would be a little bit cooler just makes sense gotcha. yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So what were your initial thoughts about the Mark IV announcement? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I, I was genuinely surprised. I know there had been like, oh, there's big hype. Wait till the Prime cast comes out on the 26th of July. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, maybe they'll kill off the butcher. That'd be cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get my wish on that, I think. But yeah, then they, <laughs> they announced Mark IV. I'm like, oh. All right. It felt like it was about time. I think they mentioned it was like six years of Mark III. And, you know, Mark III had a bit of a rush, a, a rough release, let's say. And so I think there's a lot of cautious optimism. I actually put a poll out on my channel whenever that came out. I'm like, how do you guys feel about this? And, you know, like 270 some odd votes on it. People being like cautiously optimistic. I'm like, I think mm -hmm. that's fair. That's, that's a very valid place to be because a lot of former players like you know, so many players I know love the game, really enjoyed it, just kept getting their face bashed in every time they played that it just wasn't worth it to them anymore, even though it was, mm -hmm. you know, they brought they were brought in by these really beautiful models and these really cool things. So cautious optimism there. Then they dropped the mark for rules. And that was super interesting because, you know, they, there was some of the major changes, which, you know, you, it was mentioned on one of the, um, your other videos with the uh, playtester mentioned like okay facings are gone like that was huge just and i and i can remember like dealing with battles where it's like okay here's the laser pointer which way is that facing are you gonna walk by are you gonna be within one millimeter of my reach range and you're gonna take a free strike before you can make it into that charge range and it's like oh that's interesting like there's a certain amount of granularity that's lost, but I understand it because there's a lot of time saved that way. And then, of course, all the drama around the unit movement, which is interesting. And I don't know. I'm just going to have to play test that to see how that feels. Yeah. I don't know for those that are listening, our Mark IV uh, bat rep where we had uh, Andy was playing with his errants and they were like the infinite repoing um errands where at one point they were like 20 inches away from each other and we posted like pictures we posted video of this everywhere on discord facebook even people who were uh, like play testers for mark four and were like where is this incorrect because we're looking all over this rule book we're asking everywhere on the internet like there's no way that this is correct so i'm hoping out of like with the unit movement i, I hope that gets addressed where repoing you know have one model repo and then everybody else you know, moves to, to sync up within two inches of him because the way it is now it can get some uh, pretty ridiculous, ridiculous charge angles. Oh gosh, no kidding. Imagine what you can do with cavalry. I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah. Say, yeah. Cavalry's insane right now. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, fine. They're fun to play. So hopefully, mm -hmm. but, but that's kind of one of the nice things, right? They're like, well, those are the beta rules. Yeah. We've play tested it to a degree, but now it's like here out on the market. And so <laughs> we, one thing we are familiar with our um, gamers doing is finding ways to break the game. So go do it now so we can fix it before it properly launches. Yeah, and uh, Dan brought up a point too, is that maybe these are beta rules from like six months ago, but this was the document that was ready to get released versus maybe there is a more current copy of beta rules that are out there somewhere. They're just not ready to be publicly released yet. Hmm, maybe. Um, My understanding was like, they're like, no, these are pretty much the rules. This is just going to be like if there's some oh crap moment. All right, well, repo got to get looked at, Privateer yeah, Press. Yeah, <laughs> the sound of that, that most likely, I hopefully does get addressed. Because that would be, that would be so sad, right? It just launches and then immediately falls on his face because there's a bunch of people just posting like horrible abuses of the game and people, and then the former players are like, well, nothing's changed, I guess, cool. 
Yeah, I think that's the other thing too, why it's it's really important to promote positivity, especially like we're trying to grow our community. I mean, our community's had steady growth for the past year, I think. Yeah, we've the AU meta has been a thing for about a year now. But the big thing, even community leaders, players, you know, players just showing up during the week is to be positive because it is really easy just to rip on, you know, I don't know, like me back in 2019 ripping on Archons and Riot Quest models, right? But um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a, I'm still a little salty about that. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's like be positive, <laughs> be constructive, I guess, might be a better yes. way of putting it because that mm-hmm. you know, not being allowed to complain about anything, there's no point in that. We complain about stuff we love all the time. I mean, I love mm-hmm. movies, and I will pick a movie to pieces when I'm like, but, oh, man, I wish they could have done this, could have done this. It would have been awesome if they did this. But it's like you've got to be constructive and you've got to articulate it. If you're just like, nah, they're just going to break it like they always do, or some, like, st- kind of stupid phrase, you know, that gets thrown out. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's that's fair. That's where you're – that's the – okay, now you're just bringing everything down. So I do, I guess, defend criticisms, but they they should be constructive because overall, I think most of the people who are playing the game and are invested in the game and have put hundreds of hours in the game who are complaining are hopefully complaining with the idea that I really would like this to be better in this way so that I can enjoy playing this with someone else who might who, who might actually try the game if this thing were fixed. Yeah, so one thing that, you know, we kind of promote at my job is if you have a complaint or there's a problem, that's great. Like, what are your solutions for that? You like, you can come to me with a problem, but how is this going to, you know what I mean? Like, how would you make it better if you were sitting in the in the director's seat, so to speak? Yeah, and I mean, it becomes a harder question at that point because like, all right, mm-hmm. all right, Sherlock, how do you fix this one? Like, you adjust this, then what? Then what happens here? Yeah, and... And it's good, too, because you get other people's perspectives, too, you know, and you come up with solutions that you might not have even thought of in the first place. So you just got to come correct, everybody. <laughs> just come correct. Oh, yeah. So so before we started recording, Miranda and I were kind of talking a little bit about the marketing of Mark IV and just our initial you know, thoughts about it. And the conversation was, was getting pretty good. So I was like, oh, wait, we gotta, we gotta table this. And oh man, you're gonna make me remember recording. like 30 minutes ago? <laughs> oh. Now we're gonna. <laughs> so one of the thing, again, so I'm a Mark one player. I missed Mark two, came back for three. I'm, you know, hopping on a hundo percento for Mark four. So as a consumer of privateer press products, guys, this comes from a place of love. <laughs> you know, I, I love your guys' games. The announcement that we got in July, I don't, I don't know if that is like the Mark IV announcement or if we're going to get something a little bit, you know, flashier, more exciting come October. I I would hope so. It would it would be the best way to proceed, right? Like they've put out and I don't know if you're if you're done. I don't mean to step on what you're saying. No, no, go for it. But it's like okay, uh, July twenty sixth or whatever. They put out that Primecast, like a five minute video. Oh, here's this model, this model. Oh, P.S. Mark Four. Bye, guys. And you're like, what? Oh my god. Oh, the the hype. Yeah, like what what just happened? Right. But it's like <laughs> that got the attention of current players that did zero things to get like other new people interested. So after that, we had that very long article by Matt Wilson of like, hey, you know, this is kind of what's going on. And I, you know, I mentioned before, like, I think in the interest of trying to be transparent with their audience and trying to be like, honest and, you know, level with everybody of like, hey, you know, this is kind of where we're at. We, (laughs) we made too many models. (laughs) It's like, well, we all could have told you that, but it's fine. And, and so, 
you know, how are we addressing that? But again, that's all talking to the current player base. So yeah, with logically speaking, I would hope that whenever October comes and maybe they're waiting to make sure that they have the the support and infrastructure ready to sell a bajillion models. And Gen Con was probably a bit of a test for that. But yeah, come October, they, I hope, come out with some really cool marketing campaign, gorgeous painted models and these really awesome terrain boards, maybe some internally done battle reports, you know, just some cool flashy stuff to help, you know, put put the feelers out for all the new players out there, people who haven't been following Privateer, because all of this stuff so far has only been shown to people who are already following the game. Yeah, and... Yes, I agree with that. The other thing with if if this is the announcement and we don't get anything else for new players in October, it my initial thought again as a longtime consumer of the product, playing war games for almost two decades now, it just it seemed like it lacked confidence. There is some of that. Yeah. Yeah, like that was the initial, you know, that that was the initial impression that I got. So I'm my fingers are crossed too that we get something a little bit, a little bit spicier in October. No, they they definitely need to to bring bring some more there because I mean, just the current audience is overall not where they want to be. If if they're being practical about it, like Mark II was the height of War Machine uh, consumer market share. Mark One, you know, was I, I don't know much about it unfortunately, but I remember like whenever Mark II went into Mark III. There were so many players I knew who were like, mm, this is a good time for me to stop. Whereas with Mark IV, I feel like a lot of people are going, oh, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, I really want to see where this goes. I'd like to come back. Some of the hesitation had to do with 3D printed models, which I don't think is too much of a concern, but time will tell on that. And then like how they're going to be able to handle those legacy armies. I feel like we should maybe dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, legacy models. So uh, they mentioned it was it was Matt Wilson on one of the Prime casts talking about how they had amassed about a 2,000 model catalog by the end of Mark mm-hmm. II, or, you know, by now. And it was this constant need to create new models. And it was kind of to the exclusion of everything else. And, you know, you can sell a model because Wargamers... I mean, you, I'm sure you know, like, we're all consumers. We consume. Yes, we consume. <laughs> like, oh, the new shiny thing? How can I put it in my pocket <laughs> right now? I'll assemble it later. So it's like, it was probably kind of easy money, like, eh, just put out the new thing. But now we're in this weird situation where there's this enormous back catalog of models that people can't even order from game stores because, you know, they might not be able to fulfill that order because it was a plastic or they don't have enough uh, uh, orders for that model to warrant another spin-up of the model. And so you're dealing with all these you know, older players who are like, I have a lot of models. Am I going to be able to use these? You know, what what is October going to bring with the rules for all those legacy things? And I'm glad they put out their legacy armies notice yesterday with what model, what armies are going to come out. So that helped alleviate some concerns but now it's going to be like well how usable really are they because they're still coming out with new models they're not even re-sculpting so far yeah so this might not be the most popular opinion but so this is why i look at right so i have i have a full i have a full kator faction i have all the grimkin and i have a full fair army and pirates so okay all right so i guess my stuff is legal and prime um but i think i think this like legacy model thing is meant to be a like a two-year bridge for your pre-existing players to eventually get them to 
go like at the end of the day everybody new and you know your your veteran players are going to be picking up one of these new army boxes i just think that the majority of these legacy like it's just basically a bridge to get us there until more armies and more choices come out i think once the dust settles in like three years i i don't know how much table time legacy armies in general are are going to you know see or be on the table no that's fair and you bring up a good point because even with their initial launch they're like here's two armies and then come november the kador box will be coming out that's three armies by end of year like to start in their brand new edition launch so in order to not completely alienate the other you know enormous percent of their player base they do need they need some way of letting people be able to play with their stuff. And so two years, three years, yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of unlimited format, like steamrollers and tournaments, probably for at least two years. I think it's, like at least for our store, I think we're, from talking with our community, it's going to be a lot of unlimited, definitely for the first year. Which is great, honestly. Like, again, I look forward to still getting to put my Grimkin on the table or my little Kayazi dudes on the table or, you know, any of them. Cause I don't know what casters are even going to be coming over. Like I'll be mm-hmm. sad if I don't get to play the old witch in the future. I'll be sad if I don't get to play like Sorsha in the future. And I understand that they're like, Oh, we're moving on. We're moving on. But it's like, yeah, but don't like, you know, yeah. I, I've, I think people still want to be able to play maybe between the two different eras, right? Like a, a 30 K mm-hmm. version of, of war machine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually, um, so quick sidebar, for our final uh, steamroller in December for the year, our big send-off to Mark III is going to be like a 50-point themeless steamroller. <laughs> so you just take whatever you want. <laughs> it's like a little homage. Well, well, on that note, yeah, why don't we get into our last big uh, topic for the podcast episode, and we're going to talk about women in wargaming. So to kind of lead us off into this, I pulled some uh, really interesting statistics from the internet from Dr. Google. So uh, according to the Great Wargaming Survey, a census-like questionnaire conducted by the magazine Wargame Soldiers and Strategy every year, the estimated makeup of women in the hobby was between 1.5 and 2%. That was as of 2019. However, in D&D, it had massive spikes that year, rising to 39% women. And for strategy genre games, such as like Civ 6, you're looking at 11%. So looking at tried and true, our analytics, less than 5% of our viewers are women. And I shared my analytics with you too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Send it. What you got? So, I mean, for my, my channel, again, been around for like 10 years and my snapshot for just preparing for this show. So it's just a few days old for the last 28 days. The female makeup of my channel is 0.2%. 20% of 1% on my channel. Wow. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's fair to say it's just probably not that interesting to them. So why why do you think there is a lack of women at the war tables? (sighs) All right. I I do have to start off by saying I generally detest this topic just to be completely fair and open and honest about it, like, it's one of those things that I feel like I've always been, like, I don't know, bugged with over the last, like, time I've had my channel where people are like, oh, how do I, how do I get my wife into it? And it's like, I don't know, she's not interested, like, she's not interested, dude. Like, <laughs> you can't make her be interested. <laughs> what, you yeah. want to try and trick her? Like, what do you want from me? 
And so it was right. always just like this ruffling sort of question, including at one point me getting an email from like a fairly large magazine saying like, oh, we'd love to hear your experience about women in wargaming and how you've been marginalized and mistreated in it. And I was like, oh, you already wrote this article for me. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> So it's one of those. For the record, I've never been mistreated by my gaming community. And like. neither have I. <laughs> and it's one of those things where there seems to be like this controversy in it. And it just, it makes me tired. Because it's like, look, I don't know. I go into the game store. Like, no, I've never been worried about what's going to happen to me in a game store. I've never been, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, mistreated. I've had awkward things said to me because turns out a lot of war gamers are also just awkward humans. I'm sorry. Like, if you have a problem with that, then that's kind of a you thing, not a them thing. So mm-hmm. it, it ends up being this thing where I'm just like, oh, God, I hate this topic. So I am trying to approach it, like, you know, as analytically and controlled as I can. But if I sound a little <laughs> pissed off at one point, you'll know where I'm coming from. So fair warning. No, yeah, no, it's cool. So why is that? I don't know. They just aren't interested because it's one of those things that is so niche. It's not interesting to most humans, right? Like how many humans play war games in general how many people mm-hmm. in hollywood knew what warhammer was before henry cavill talked about it on interviews and then even then you saw like tom holland be like what what is this this sounds fun it's like nobody knows what this hobby is it's like super ultra niche and it was also ultra niche historically like to guys who probably weren't all that successful with women so it turns out women probably weren't interested in your stupid hobby either <laughs> you know, it, it, it becomes one of those things. And so, yeah. you know, it's it's become more democratized. You know, there's more games out there. There's more there's more skirmish level games and more types of games and more ways of playing that aren't just a straight one on one match, which is one of the other things that might get mentioned is like, eh, you know, women just don't generally tend to do that. It's like eh, some don't. It's not like women can't be competitive. They just probably don't find your particular niche of competitive stuff interesting. Like, sorry. So. I feel like I'm getting ranty. I'm going to calm down. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. So when you kind of look, well, looking at the, uh, when I was looking at the statistics, you know, in preparation for for this episode, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that is really interesting that, D- and I look at my D&D group, mm-hmm. like, so when I used to play in the early 2000s, I would be the only, you know, woman at the table. Now I've got like two or three other women that are sitting with me at the table. Yeah. So it's cool to see, okay, so not all tabletop is dead for this, you know, demographic. Um, But there's a lot of differences. Well, and I would warn, and I would also separate just RPGs and like tabletop wargaming, while both considered in the tabletop genre, are are pretty distinctly different things. Yes. So yeah, just to kind of continue on your point, like you're you're right, like the the RPG side has definitely seen a a, a huge Mm -hmm. boon in it after it became... I don't know, a lot more popular in what, the last 10, 15 years, would you say? Yeah, and then you have like Stranger Things on Netflix, right? So that's kind of put a spotlight on, on D&D and has, you know, it's a little bit more mainstream. There's a new Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out. <laughs> but to be fair, like just to compare that is, you know, the same scene from Stranger Things happened in E.T. and it didn't do anything for the, you know, RPG scene. And... We all know that there was an old Dungeons and Dragons movie. There's two of them. Yo, that Jeremy <laughs> Irons movie like still holds a special no. place in my heart. I love that. I saw that in the theater. I love that movie. Did you that apologize is a free- to everyone else in the theater? Uh, no, that is <laughs> that movie has a special place of honor in our household. Like, yeah, if I want to get like drunk and just watch like trash, Jeremy Irons <laughs> hamming it up, like taking that. Oh my so god, serious. he was. Ha- I, 
if you haven't seen it yet, if I can make a strong recommendation, Jeremy Irons' D&D. It's right up um, there with the Alien versus Predator series. So you know, that wasn't that didn't do anything to make women go play RPGs. Yeah, either. no, that's fair. But I do think that there is. So women are definitely like we love playing video games too, right? But I think that narrative story. You know, those narrative games, those games with a, with 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 a story and you the role playing and stuff i feel like that has more appeal to a broader audience so taking our game group for our immediate community those are the nights that we get the most women that come to the store so if we're playing war machine commandant right it's like four man you know all for yourself it's the fun you know silly beat em up in the center iron kingdoms nights escalation league uh so yeah the narrative stuff i think it's it has more of an appeal and it kind of pulls away from that competitive, you know, mindset of that, that one-on-one, you know, locking horns on, on the field of battle. Yeah. Which is uh, when I, when I recommended earlier, like if you're trying to expand your gamer group, uh, look to, you know, look outside of War Machine, look outside of Warhammer and open it up to, you know, the D&D community or whatever other tabletop group is is happening in your area. One of the other stores that we play at down in Middletown, Born to Game, they have D&D sessions on the Sundays that we play War Machine. And a lot of times, you know, we have, you know, men, women, kids, parents, whoever that come, you know, check out our tables. Oh, hey, what is it you guys are playing to kind of start that initial dialogue? But Miranda, you also brought up a really good point two we were talking earlier you can't force your hobbies on people <laughs> you well, yeah. can't it's just weird yeah you can't ram you can't ram that down down that throat you know people like what they like they they don't like what they don't like well and it's like well so you got to kind of look at it clinically it's like well okay do you not like it because that is just a topic that is not particularly interesting to you which i which is kind of where i stand on like i don't know war machine yeah probably pretty small percentage of women are are playing it but the women who play it love it it's not like they feel like oh no i'm do you feel specifically alienated just cuz you might be the only one in a room sometimes to play the game i doubt it mhm oh oh i was just going to kind of mention that too like when that magazine you know contacted you or whatever i don't liked and i i kind of apply this for my my full-time job and everything that i do i don't look at myself as a female gamer female war gamer i look at myself as a war gamer that happens to be female or a gamer that happens to be female like that's not we don't lead with that and we don't want to lead with that (laughs) right because then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that gets attached to it it's like oh i'm in here as a woman it's like well great every loss is you as a woman every win is you as a woman like now you just have this bizarre amount of representation you taken on for no good reason it's like how about you're just a person like that's cool too and you should be Mm -hmm. so yeah getting in there and enjoying the game for what it is there's nothing to me i don't think there's anything inherently you know uh alienating to women in any of of the current war games that are out there you can play all kinds of weird stuff and it's not even like women are you know the shrinking violets like so sensitive they can't handle it because the biggest representation of women i've seen in a war game has been malifaux where they play with dead hookers so it's like no no no, you're fine they're not it's not like they can't handle things it's fine but you're Mm -hmm. right like one of the other things about malifaux is that it has so much moxie and story driven elements to it that you're you know you're this little gang you're doing these specific schemes across the board and it ended up being just a little more appealing to that group so good Mm -hmm. like keep doing that and, and other games keep doing what they're doing. And humans, being human, will find the things they like and just enjoy them. 
Yeah, like that. So my first war game ever, which like my first love that will always have a special place in my heart was Mordheim. Uh-huh. And I love the fact that it kind of had that squad RPG leveling up, buying equipment. I was like, oh, this is like really freaking cool. And I remember doing like story campaigns with my gaming group. And it felt like that game specific, other than the art, like the art in that, in the uh, the core rule book for Mordheim is like sick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is uh, That's what got me into it was the narrative you know, RPG element of that game. Like the the skirmish, the war gaming was kind of secondary to that narrative play experience. Yeah. And, and I think I generally feel more that way, like uh, more in the Heidemark too. And I was doing tournaments and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll catch up on the lore at some point, but really I just want to crush face. Rawr, this was fun. And then after a while, I'm like, you know, you get tired of playing and maybe you do a little more of the hobbying side or you get tired of the hobbying side and you start reading a little bit more of the lore. Like that's what keeps a game alive is you really need all three of those elements to maintain a healthy war game. And so it's been nice to go back and read some of the lore. And I, you know, War Machine, the lore can be a little all over the place, but generally there's some really good books out there, like the story of Cain and his whole Hellslinger series. Like that's some cool stuff there so it's nice to be yeah the uh that the butcher book i think i like killed that in a day and a half uh that was a fun delightful little read (laughs) i did read through that and i was like yep he's a jerk i hate him still (laughs) (laughs) that's why i was surprised that sorsha zero didn't have animosity butcher when she came out right uh because of like the time period it just it should have been early enough right but yeah 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 i don't know and and that was actually one of the cool things that and and maybe it was a mark one thing but it was definitely a mark two thing like the second edition or you know iris two or whatever there would be some lore moment that happened in the rule book that had him have his new epic form or whatever like Mm -hmm. um, i think at that point for him he had been um censured by queen ein vanar for letting too many of his troops die so his whole thing was just like no i need to protect more of kador the next time i fight and so to general players playing the game they're like yeah hey, you know whatever this is the the, the better version or just, whatever it's just a rusk with a flag yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> such a top heavy model but regardless uh he yeah there were like lore reasons for it and i'm like oh man that was always so cool to me i, I loved that it was one of the things that made it I don't know. Like, there's a lot of complaints about there not being generic casters, right? Like, you would like something that could be more representative of just you. I play this character, you know, Bob the Warcaster. But you're always dealing with named characters. And so having the lore attached to that was was pretty cool. I, I dug that. Mm-hmm. So just on this up, so what, what initially got you into tabletop gaming? Uh, I mean, I always grew up playing video games. And mm-hmm. none of my female friends played video games, to be fair. <laughs> but gotcha. It's but <laughs> um, but you know, I have three brothers, and we were all brutally competitive with each other. And so I just always figured, like, no, I can, I can do whatever. And and so I, I always, um, I don't know, just took that as a fairly natural thing. But I didn't really know about wargaming until more like, I don't know, twenty. So I was about twenty years old because. Uh, my older brother, he would get off, he would run off with his friends and go play like Shadowrun and these other games and, and not exclude me because it was one of those like, you know, I'm his, his loser little sister, so I don't get to go mm-hmm. and I really wanted it. So for whatever reason, it really like bloomed this, um, I don't know, antagonistic interest. <laughs> and so after being an adult for a while, I was like, oh, war games, like that's, that's even cooler and that's even nerdier and I can, I could do this, like this is fun. So I don't know, like maybe a little bit of sarcasm, spitefulness to my family, but also. <laughs> but so, like, did you just like roll up to like a local store? Like, how did you get connected with your with your first community? So my, I guess, boyfriend at the time, husband now, played Warhammer as a kid, 
terribly ridiculed throughout all of his time doing so as a kid. But he introduced me to 40K. Then we went to the local game HQ, which was in Oklahoma City. And that's where I found War Machine. So it was just really just walking down to a game store and being like, oh, this is cool. And then didn't get to do much with that community there. But when I came back to Albuquerque... I had my stuff. So I just walked into a game store and I'm like, hey, can someone teach me this game, please? <laughs> so I just, you know, waltzed in. Nice. Yeah. So I guess that's another thing too, where I kind of kind of like to, to, to curb the, the conversation is definitely setting up like demo tables, uh, ta- like pretty tables in general that churns heads. So I know as War Machine players, it's kind of hard for us to transition to you know, three-dimensional terrain, terrain that goes uh, vertical. <laughs> I know my husband is fighting tooth and nail. He loves his 2D flat. There's no reason for <laughs> it's it. Flat. If you like it so much, play a video yeah. game. I'm sorry. I just have, <laughs> like, I hear you. I understand where you're like, oh, I want that precision. But, dude, the models are still hanging off the bases. Like, you're just not going to get it. This is an analog game for a reason. It might as well be pretty, especially, especially mm-hmm. if you want people to come and look at that game and be interested in it. Yeah, and and that's the thing too, like on your game nights, it's so important, like get to the stores, you have to have, um, you know, that in person FaceTime. And I think even with our store, we try and, you know, make it a point to have one, like, we have a demo Signar and a Crick's army that was donated to us. um, And we take that to the store with us and we just set that up in the back for anyone that's interested. Like, Hey, you know, you want to throw some dice? We got some armies here for you, you know, to try out. Yeah. Pretty tables helps. Painted models helps. Um, I mean, you walk in and you just see, you know, gray or metal models or, (laughs) or flat, flat, boring tables. You're just going to walk by it because it just doesn't look interesting. I mean, even Mm -hmm. magic suffers that and they have, you know, they have pretty artwork, but you really kind of have to be over somebody, which is weird to like see or appreciate any of that. So no, you've, Mm -hmm. you walk in and this is where 40k has always kind of ruled the roost. Although infinity has done an amazing job in their own right on it. So yeah, you've got these like cool like citadels standing up and these neat mm-hmm. terrain fields with minefields and these objectives set up and you're watching these, you know, tanks and little mans like all over, you know, parts of the board with firing happening back and forth and you walk in and you're like, what is this? It's a whole diorama. And I don't know if you, like, I don't play historical games particularly, although Bolt Action has some really beautiful stuff too. That, what is that? Is it uh, something in Allies? Axis Axis and Allies, Allies? yeah. Those tables are like really cool. Well, there's like the Napoleonic Wars even. Like the the historical Mm -hmm. folks, they have been doing that forever. And they do. They make full-on dioramas. You walk in, you're like, wow, this this is really cool. And that's that's like the part that captures the imagination. And then you can be like, oh, yeah, there's this cool world. There's these semi-sentient uh, machines that, you know, you can control telepathically. And they will go and fight for you in this, you know, kind of steam-powered, steampunky world. It's like, oh, wow, tell me more. But if you just have placemats and circles and rectangles and unpainted models yeah people are going to walk by and just be like where's the magic cards (laughs) yeah the other thing too um that helps churn heads is uh like community events so once a year for steamrollers we like hosting a charity steamroller uh so we did our first food machine back in february it was huge success um we did it with our, our local food bank and it was awesome we had a bunch of people just like from the community like you know, fellow nerds, fellow gamers, men, women, you know, their families who brought their kids just to check it out and and help donate. But that's another way too to help with, you know, to strike up conversation and just expand your, 
your your social circles in a way. And everybody, yeah, everyone always likes helping people, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, like a food bank thing is like just have at it, right? Like I like the food machine thing. That was always a really cool. That was always a really cool type of event. But just having events in general, some weekly thing or monthly thing at the store that gives someone an excuse for everyone to congregate around a similar interest that day. Yeah. That's that's absolutely the way to do it. And that's really nice when you do see well-run game stores making sure that those are being organized, but they also need help from the community of people who are trying to represent, you know, their favorite game showing up and actually like participating and helping generate that interest too because a game store can only do so much on its own but they didn't do a heck of a lot yeah it's it's the players in the community that's the lifeblood you know um that that keeps the community going i know and so i'm looking forward to like again it brings me back to mark four i'm like oh please i really hope this is really good like with the revision of the iron kingdom's requiem and now the new edition of war machine like they're it seems like they're trying to kind of make it this whole you know across the board uh revision and 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 resurgence hopefully but yeah hopefully october they, they just some... i just hope they stick the landing yeah. private yeah privateer press if you're listening like give such a great opportunity a great chance like don't mess it up in october please <laughs> you have every opportunity to do this right so yeah you know, it's it there's definitely enough people in the community who want it to happen and there's always going to be naysayers but they're going to buy your game too so whatever like yeah <laughs> i mean this just happens to be how it goes so oh that was no, that was still me 2019 i was like f these archons i hate them yeah i'll buy two defile two prime like two defile in the void please <laughs> wow, wow wow yeah wow that's funny so yeah i don't know uh, as, as far as like girls in gaming like they, they'll they'll come or they won't i mean and and as the games as gaming in general as tabletop gaming in general becomes more popular and you have things like critical role and shows that are that bring it more to the fore it's just going to call more attention to it so you're just naturally going to see more people to it and then subsequently there's just more women in it and then they're going to make a bunch of different types of games that are going to have a bunch of different varying appeals and that's perfect, you know, like let everyone find what they want to do. I do have an objection to anybody saying, oh, you don't have enough women playing your game. You need to fundamentally change because like, look, they're not that you're, you're coming at it from the wrong angle. Yeah. It's like you're just deciding something's wrong when they're probably. Yeah. And it's it's like even with like other business, like I use the like the airline, you know, industry thing like. I don't care what your stance is. I just want to get from point A to point B safely. You like go. you have a good product, you have a good service. Like that's what's at the end of the day. That's what's gonna right. You know, and so is changing it now going to cause more problems than it fixes? And it doesn't even solve the problem you're trying to solve, which usually it doesn't. Right. It's one of those things where you have to be <laughs> as cheesy as it sounds. You have to be true to yourself, right? Like you don't run around changing yourself to try and appeal to other people. You are yourself, and then you find the right people to be your friend and it kind of works for games too fair point well on that note we are hitting just over an hour i don't know how long your show is so i was just gonna keep <laughs> i think like yeah no it's cool i um i think it's about an hour is what we look at like between an hour and an hour 10 okay. topsies so we can we can roll into the conclusion yeah sure all right well um you know on on that note i think we uh talks about a lot of a lot of good things Miranda thank you so much for for coming on the show and you know sharing your time with us tonight and it was really cool picking your brain about Mark 4 and 
all the excitement, all the excitement to come. Do you have any closing statements or? Uh, I mean, obviously, thank you for having me on. This was really fun. I'm so excited to see another Wargaming War Machine channel coming out too. So I, and congratulations. I saw you are already over 600 subscribers. So thank you. you guys yeah. Thank you so much. Rocking on. I'm so glad that you are doing so much that you are for the community where you are at locally. So keep on fighting the good fight. I, I, it's, I'm so glad to have learned about you guys. So thank you. And then, yeah, as far as my channel goes, keep an eye out for some Mark IV battle reports. They they will be coming. Yep. And we're uh, we're going to have in the uh, the show notes below, uh, Wargamer Girl. It's easy to find. Uh, can we add you to our War Machine channels we like? Yes, of course. Sweet. Okay. Girl, you're going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, well, thanks again. That's going to conclude this episode of Tried and True. Uh, let us know your Mark IV thoughts or any of the things you've done in the past to help promote tabletop gaming to a wider audience. And as always, see you on the next installment of Tried and True. Bye.